This episode of the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by Inside Tracker. To save 20% off your Inside Tracker purchase, visit insidetracker.com slash holly20 or the link in the show notes. Hey everybody, I am Holly Samuel and I am a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, master of health education and eating disorders, and of course your podcast host today. And on today's episode, I was super excited to get to chat with Christy Bowman, marathon nutritionist, as you may know her on social media. If you follow me, there's a good chance you also follow her. Um, She's just absolutely wonderful. And I was so pumped to chat with her and her sister, um, Michelle Baxter, who is the runner's plate on social media. If you run, especially if you run in a cold place, (laughs) um, you should follow Michelle if you don't already. And these two ladies are sisters and they are sisters who recently both broke three hours in the marathon at the California International Marathon, aka CIM, this past December. Michelle had actually broken three hours at CIM last year, um, but it was Christy's first time breaking three hours this year. And they both did it together, which is so cool. Um, I feel like that's just really rare to find two sisters who are both um, really, you know, serious about running and um, are also immersed like in the running community. Christy works with runners as a dietitian, and Michelle is a running coach. Um, So I was so pumped to reach out to them and to have them on the show to chat about their experience um, training for and breaking three hours because while they are genetically related and while they did do a lot of things very similarly in terms of following basic, you know, principles that work well for running, like, you know, running a certain mileage or um, doing certain workouts or fueling a certain way. Um, They both actually did have some different challenges and some different training strategies leading up to this race. So it's just kind of cool to see a very similar outcome with two very different training cycles in people who are sisters. Um, So I was really excited to chat with them about this. So let's just dive right into today's episode. Hello, Christy and Michelle, and welcome to the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast. I'm so excited to have you both here today, um, and I want you guys to introduce yourselves so that people can start to identify voice with name, um, since you guys do sound alike, and this is an audio recording, um, so I'll kind of call you out first. Um, Christy, if you could just introduce yourself, tell everyone who you are, where you're located, and what you do. Yeah, so... Um, I'm Christy Bauman. I'm located in Minnesota and Twin Cities area. I'm um, a registered dietitian, just like Holly, and work with runners too. Um, And I've been running basically since I was 12 or so, seventh grade, all the way through high school into college. Um, And never in high school, I remember telling myself I never want to run competitively again, but here we are now running marathons and just ran my 11th marathon. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And if you guys don't already follow Christy, if you've been following me, you probably also follow Christy, but Christy, it's great to have you here today. I'm not going to have to like quiz you about nutritional biochem or probably like other podcasts you've been on. We could just talk about running. So that'll be super fun. Um, Sounds good. (laughs) And uh, Michelle, if you want to introduce yourself as well, who you are, where you're located and what you do. I'm Michelle Baxter. I am on Instagram as the runner's plate. And yes, Christy is my younger sister. There's six years that separate us. I like to call her my clone or my husband will joke that she just stayed in the womb for an additional six years um, because we're so similar. And yes, and how we dress today because we are basically wearing this exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. You, you guys can't see cause this is a podcast, but they're both wearing like a beige sweater. It's, it's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our ESPN has only gotten stronger since I've moved back to Minnesota. Now um, I did spend the last 15 years in Alaska and Anchorage, Alaska, and I've kind of adopted um, by default, just been got been known as the winter runner and a, a lot of uh, share a lot of winter running tips and tricks and gear on social media, but I have also been running basically for about 30 years now. And CIM this last week was my 13th marathon. And 
yeah, Christy and I got to do it together, which was so fun and so special. Nice. I think I found you on social media because of winter running because I'm in New Hampshire. So it's I think it's a little bit more intense in Alaska and Minnesota than it is in New Hampshire, but similar vibes. Um, and then I put it together that you were sisters. And I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Um, so yeah, thanks for introducing yourself. Um, and I'm so excited to jump in because I think this is just so cool. You guys both just completed CIM as your 11th and 13th marathons. You both broke three hours in the marathon super impressive. Um, and I think it's fun to dive into just kind of like the journey to get there. I know you both have been running for a long time. Um, but it sounds like there may have been some differences like in your training and each challenges that you each faced in the buildup. Um, and of course, we can talk about, you know, fueling and stuff as well. But in terms of like the sub three marathon, um, like how, like, when did that kind of as a possibility pop into your minds, like as a goal to try and break. And Michelle, I know that you broke three hours for the first time last year um, at CIM, but, and almost, I think again, at a different marathon last year. So you've kind of been pretty open about this goal, but we can kind of start with Christy. Like when did that as a particular time goal pop into your mind? Um, <laughs> so I have, my sister's kind of always been like the one who inspires me to run and um, we're a little competitive or maybe, yeah, we're competitive. So I always try <laughs> and keep up with her <laughs> and follow in her footsteps. So, um, I know she had been working, um, to try to break three a lot longer, but then pretty much, I guess I would say after Boston this last year, I really didn't know how I would run, um, eight months postpartum, but did really well worked that was actually my first time training with a run coach um and was like well now is my chance um to try and break three hours I might as well go for it um and so I guess it was kind of in the back of my mind of like yeah I could try and go for it but never like really hired a run coach put in the hard workouts that I know I needed to do in order to get there yeah. And I, I know too, you had run Boston this past year and that was your first race after having your son, right? Like your first marathon. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I know sometimes it's probably like, okay, let's see how like this comes out <laughs> in the wash and, you know, train really hard for that. And I definitely want to talk more about kind of running postpartum too. Um, and in particular for you, and I can ask you both this question, like why CIM? Like, why'd you pick that particular race? Oh, Christy, you can go first. <laughs> you want me to go first? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I ran CIM in 2021, and I had heard a lot of hype about the course because of how fast it is and the gradual downhill. I wanted to run a fast marathon, but picked that one. My husband has family. His dad is from Sacramento, so he had family there. And so we had that kind of connection. It was on the West Coast, easy for me to travel to coming from Alaska and just so many great things I heard about all the camaraderie, the support you have during the race from other runners. And so it was pretty easy decision for me to make 2021. I actually signed up in 2020, anticipating mm -hmm. to be able to run in 2020. Then of course couldn't. So then ran in 2021. And then when I was trying to pick a marathon for this year, there wasn't a lot of, I was excited about except for CIM and, um, I got Christy on board to run CIM as well. She actually signed up first. And then I'm like, well, if you're going to go, I'm going to go too. So we just made a girls weekend out of it. Um, but it's honestly one of my favorite races. Uh, it's so much, so many positive things uh, that, about the race that I love. And so it's an easy choice for me to, to do it and to do it a second time. Awesome. Yeah. I've heard great things about CIM. I'm on the East coast, so I haven't made it over there yet, but, um, it's very, it's nice that it's in December. Cause it kind of, you do a lot of your training in the fall, like kind of some of the cooler months. Um, so it's definitely interesting to me too. And, um, Michelle too, like when, you know, obviously you've been pretty open about, you know, wanting to break three hours in the marathon. Um, and I know like, when did that goal like first pop into your head? So my journey to get to a sub three hour marathon took eight years. And so when people I'm on, always reminding people that it, 
if you don't succeed, it took me five tries before I actually did it. So unlike Christiana, first try, <laughs> I, there was many failed attempts. I mean, failed, of course. I had PRs along the way. I made progress. I could. I knew that I was getting closer, but still, um, to get that to get that sub three, it did took me eight years, two babies, and five attempts. So it started nine years ago when my coach, who it was actually got this idea in my head before she was my coach, but she and I were talking, we had met through our blogs. She lives here in Minnesota and I had gone to seen her, see her. And she's like, she had followed my progress through my blog, saw the workouts I was doing, but must've seen that I still had a lot of potential. And at the time my, um, my PR was 317. And she said, I really think you're gonna break three hours in the marathon. I hadn't had anybody believe in me like that. I mean, I had coaches I loved in high school and college, but nobody that really, really believed in me. So for her to say that to me meant a lot. And after I had my son, my first son, we started working together, made a lot of progress. And the first attempt, the weather was, it was over 70 degrees, 70 plus percent humidity, very, very warm. And coming from Alaska, I just, I, I didn't even have the opportunity to heat train or anything <laughs> like that. So uh, did not do well. Uh, and then, gosh, had another son in there, COVID rear, a um, couple more attempts, ran 301 at one point in time, 75 seconds too, short, too slow. Um, and then finally got it in 2021 at CAM last year. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's just important as a message too. like, you know, each marathon training cycle is not wasted, even if like the goal, you know, doesn't kind of come to fruition with the time. And, you know, you kind of did have that, you know, it looked like a breakthrough, but really was a, was a long time coming with all of that consistency that you put in. Um, and Christy, just to ask you too, like, you know, you had had your son, you had signed up for Boston. Um, like how, like when you kind of were like, I'm going to do CIM, um, you know, I think I can break three hours. Um, how did you go about like allowing yourself to have that goal, but also be flexible kind of with the bit of the roller coaster that postpartum training can be. And I know you also did it with a, with a group too. So tell right. us about like that choice. Yeah. So after Boston, I'm pretty, um, I like to take time off and I think I took close to a month off of barely doing any running. And then kind of reevaluate it. And I knew like if I want if I was going to attempt to run sub three, I wanted to do it with a group. Um, like to have that motivation, I guess, to train and train with other people virtually. So I trained with lift run perform. Um and there's about, I can't remember, 10 plus of us in the group and all across the country. And so I considered doing the indie sub three group. Um and I think, I don't know, I just, I knew like CIM sounded a little bit more enticing just because Michelle had ran it and um, knew that it was a good fast course as well. And so that's what, and then it gave me a, a little extra time. I think it was an, a month of extra training too, um, which I knew would help. And uh, yeah, to be honest, like I didn't know if I could run sub three, but I was like, I might as well try. Um, and see how close I can get type of thing. Um, and even going into the race, I was like, I think I can be around three, but I'm not sure if I can break it. Um, but yeah. And then with postpartum, uh, uh, I mean, it, as the months, as, as my son got older, it became a little bit easier. I was still exclusively breastfeeding um, for the most part, besides Boston trip during the first year. Um, but you know, it's, it, it, it becomes a little challenging with like, you know, especially at running in the morning, I would get up early, um, to feed them before going out the door, um, put them back down to sleep, um, and then get my run in. Uh, luckily my husband's work schedule was flexible. So that allowed for me to come back a little bit later and so he worked from home, um, but just a lot of coordination and uh, planning ahead and still, I mean, at that point he was sleeping through the night 
Um, but for Boston training, for sure, it was definitely waking up in the middle of the night. Um, and yeah, sometimes I look back and I don't know how I did it. <laughs> I'm but sure you somehow. can both relate to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What I'm hearing too, like both of you seem to have, obviously you, you kind of had that time goal in the back of your mind, but it seemed like you were both really focused just on the process. Um, and like putting the, the, the consistent training blocks in front of each other and finding ways to, to motivate yourselves. Um, and then the time goal at the end is like, Oh yeah, that too, you know, that's definitely something that we want to achieve, but it wasn't like sub three or bust, you know, everything, or I'm going to be devastated. Um, which I think is, is really cool that you put the goal out there and then also, you know, really tried to trust the process. Um, so in terms of like your training cycles, I kind of want to talk about each of your training cycles. Um, cause I'm interested to see like, what overlaps with what you both did, um, you know, in terms of training basics, but also what's different, especially talking to people who clearly like share the same gene pool. Um, I always think it's interesting to learn like what works for different people. Um, so Michelle, like in terms of your training strategies and just this particular training cycle for CIM, like tell us about like what your kind of mileage looked like, if you did any cross training, strength training, and maybe too how maybe like this training cycle was different from the one when you were in Alaska <laughs> training for CIM before. Um, so my training cycle, I ended up having about, was it 12 weeks to train for CIM? I had an injury uh, in July and July, August, and then a little bit into September. I had run a half marathon in July strained my hamstring. Um, and then for whatever reason that led into a glute issue. So I had two months where I wasn't able to train this during the summer, but then finally mid September was able to get back on track. And thankfully I was able to up my mileage pretty quickly. And I mean, I was still conservative and took it at a, a safe progression, but, uh, got back on track. And I pretty much followed my training plan into CIM as I did in 2021. Um, and thankfully I was uh, able to get up to about the same mileage as well. I did top out at 90 miles this training cycle. And last year in 2021, I did do a hundred mile week, um, but still very close. So I'm more of that high mileage runner. I don't, I don't do any cross training with running that many. And I usually do two, at least two, sometimes three doubles throughout the week, uh, and then strength train once, sometimes twins or twice a week. So pretty voluminous runner. And then adding in those marathon paced long runs and then a tempo, usually often a tempo workout on Wednesday. That was a pretty typical week for me. Um, and yeah, thankfully progression went well, didn't have any injuries during that those 12 weeks and made it to the line healthy this time. Nice. And was it like any different in terms of weather, like this training cycle compared to Alaska last year, or was it pretty similar? Uh, pretty similar. It was, I was shocked because I did the same amount of treadmill workouts in the <laughs> last four weeks as I did going in when I was in Alaska. Cause we actually got snow pretty early and it was cold and windy here in Minnesota in November, which I guess is not typical. Um, so I ended up doing almost the same amount of treadmill workouts that I did last year in Alaska as well. Um, there was, yeah, between the wind and the snow, uh, I had to go to the, do some workouts on the treadmill, which not ideal, but better than being outside in the elements or just not being able to run as fast outside and or risk slump, slipping on the ice. Yeah, I know, like you always had shared too in Alaska, there was a lot of like packed snow on the roads in the winter, um, which is tough to run onto. It's funny, it's like you brought the cold weather <laughs> this winter. Hopefully, it'll even out a little bit in the coming year so you can get outside a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is funny how I felt like, and I feel like Minnesota is colder than Alaska because of the wind. Yeah, yeah, the lake effect, I'm sure, too. The wind is gnarly. Um, yeah. It's just super flat here. So, and then living in the country, it's like nothing to block the wind, no trees, no buildings. So it is brutal. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good to know. And, um, yeah, I'm glad your hamstring seemed to heal before you had to start your training cycle and that you got there healthy, which is awesome. Um, 
Christy, I think I remember you also talking about a hamstring. So how did your training cycle go? Um, what was your mileage like? And you worked with lift run perform. So was there lifting involved? <laughs> yeah. So, um, going into the training cycle, I was, I guess, kind of anticipating knowing Michelle does really a lot of high mileage thinking that I would need to run 70, 80 weeks. I've only done up like mid sixties, 62, 65 as a most before. Um, so that was one thing I was nervous about, but the funny thing is this training cycle was the first time I had only run only five days a week. So I had two full rest days, no cross training. I didn't do anything on those days. Um, but I felt like I needed it in order to recover because knowing like the long run and then the hard effort workout in the middle of the week were the two main, main workouts each week. Um, so I ended up, I don't even know if I for sure hit 60. Um, I think, uh, I was close, um, but high fifties, maybe 60 was uh, my peak mileage. Uh, and, uh, I had a hamstring issue come up too. And that was, I think just increasing mileage and maybe intensity of the runs earlier on in the training cycle. So it was during a speed workout, um, one day that, I was running and just, it pulled and I had to stop. Um, I couldn't, I basically had to walk home that, that time. And so I went in to get some dry needling done and uh, a few sessions of that. And that pretty much took care of it. It still was like there and I had to be careful about it. Um, that was probably halfway through the training cycle. Um, and so I uh, just had to be aware of it and take care of it and not push it too much. Um, but I was able to navigate that without, um, I went a couple more times, uh, for dry needling before the races actually, including before CIM too, because it was still tight. Um, but it seemed to do the trick and just, you know, my coaches were pretty, really proactive about not running on anything that could get worse basically. Yeah, I know. I, I have hamstring woes myself. So both of you, I'm like, Oh, that's, I feel you. <laughs> um, so yeah, in terms of like your training, obviously you were a quite lower mileage than Michelle um, and had like a pretty similar outcome. And I like that you kind of mentioned on those two rest days, they were rest days. Of course, you're chasing kids around and you both, you know, have careers and stuff too. But um, that's just interesting to note that difference. And did you incorporate any like strength training at all during this training cycle? Was that different from anything you had previously done? Yeah, so I worked with a strength coach once a week, 30 minutes um, uh, in the basement, which was super convenient, um, minimal equipment needed. And basically like, I think that was what made a really big difference because you push your muscles to that um, uh, complete, you know, exhaustion state that that's the only thing that you, that most closely replicates what you feel on race day when you're pushing through the muscle soreness. Um, and so I felt like that was a big thing. I tried to, so that was once a week. I, early on, I was doing lifting. I was lifting twice a week. Um, but then it just, with the long runs, uh, it was like, is it worth it to keep lifting, uh, doing that second lift during the week? Um, but the one, one a week seemed to be sufficient. Awesome. That's good to hear too. Um, all right. Well, cool. We're halfway through the episode. We haven't even gotten to race day yet. So let's talk about um, race day and the buildup. Um, so to kind of get into this, I'm really curious because I know you both shared a little bit about your fueling strategies. And obviously there's two dietitians on this podcast episode. So this is, you know, important to us. Um, so Michelle, like, and Christy, whoever wants to chime in, um, like, what did that look like for you guys leading up to the race? Were you carb loading? Were you like thinking about this and was anything different than what you had done in the past? <laughs> I, um, so I pretty much before every run, I would eat something before during my long runs. I, I like to try out different sports nutrition products. And so this training cycle compared to Boston, I was using scratch super fuel, the high carb drink, um, and really ended up liking that. So basically, and then during my workouts, I would, uh, take a gel, take and practice carrying my water bottle with me. Cause that's what I was going to do on race day. So even when I'm running faster, 
um, practicing what it's like to drink during those speed workouts, what it's like to take a gel and open it. Um, and so being proactive and then recovery, making the carbs and protein right after, especially the hard workout days and long runs, a priority to recover faster and get the most out of training. Um, so I was, you know, obviously intentional about, um, fueling and getting and getting those carbs and protein in when needed. Yeah. Did you, um, like carb load in any intentional way leading up to CIM? So I did carb load. I had two races, a, a 10 miler and a half marathon, and I practiced, um, a one or two day carb load for each of those. Um, and then, just before the long runs was intentional about eating more carbs that day before, you know, there was one day I remember, I think I had like a hot dog and a hamburger before my long run the night before as in the next long run that did not go well, just cause it, <laughs> it wasn't enough carbs. Um, and so, you know, of course you make those mistakes and you're reminded about like, oh yeah, that's why I eat more carbs the day before. <laughs> because you feel so much better on your long run the next day. Um, but yes, definitely tried to always practice what I preach. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like you practice exactly what you preach. Um, mm -hmm. and it sounds like you kind of got some carb load practice during your training cycle that you were able to mimic leading up to like the actual race week too. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Michelle, what about, what about you? I know you've talked about nutrition for past training cycles too. So what, what have you found works for you? I mean, what I've learned a lot of what I've learned over the last, especially the last couple of years <clears throat> with nutrition is just, honestly just following Christy on social media. And one thing I've done differently in the last couple of years is making sure I eat something before every run in the morning. And I'm a, I'm a morning runner as well. <clears throat> And prior to implementing that, I was, I would get injuries and nothing, I had one major injury, but nothing too severe besides that one. But once I started eating something before every single run, no matter the distance, even if I usually just something small, I, my, how many injuries I've had has gone down so drastically. I had this one injury for two months this summer, but prior to that, I had been healthy for 18 months. And that hadn't, that had not happened in the past for me. So implementing that was a huge game changer for me. And then prior to CIM, we did do a three-day carb load and doing that carb load is honestly makes such a difference for me, 20 miles and on, like I can actually pick up the pace. I don't get tired. I don't hit the wall. Um, and I can finish strong. And I really honestly think that doing that carb, the three-day carb load, we tracked all every, I tracked everything, like wrote down the gram number of grams I ate and made sure I had hit the total number for the day. And I, I swear by that. I will never not do that again. Um, and I do I honestly think that, and then feeling more during the race has allowed me to not never hit the wall since implementing those two things. I love, I mean, obviously I love to hear that. That's great. Do you, um, I was going to say, I'm curious about like Michelle's experience too. So Michelle, when you were practicing the carb load, especially like, you know, this time, and I know you had done it for past CIM, um, as well, but this time, I mean, you had like your in-house dietitian, you know, with you, um, doing the same thing. And that probably helped encourage you. Like, do you feel like, like, how do you feel while you're doing the carb load compared to obviously what it's for, which is to feel good later in the race? Like, does it feel easy? Do you have to be really intentional about it? Like, tell me a little bit about how that goes for you. The carb load. I don't know. I don't have issues with it. it I find it to be really, it's, I don't get bloated. I don't feel, I don't feel any different. So doing a carb load comes really easy and pretty natural for me. And I, I mean, I'm also pretty intentional and very intentional about having a lot of carbohydrates in my diet on a regular basis. So I think that helps too. Um, but adding in or just basically just removing that fat and protein from my diet and just adding in additional carbohydrates. Um, it's always gone. Fortunately, it's always gone really well for me. Um, so yeah, and we ended no issues for me. And we ended up eating more. I mean, I was rough. I, I didn't track specifically, but I guesstimated 
Um, but we ended up eating more than what was required for based on weight. Um, and because by the end of the day, you're still hungry. Like when you only eat carbs, you get hunger pretty quickly. Yeah. I love to hear that. I think what's important to, and I'm, I'm sure you hear this too, Christy, from your clients, like is if you are eating enough carbohydrates in training, like kind of transitioning into a carb load should go a little bit smoother because you're already used to that and you kind of know what works for you and you're not like adding really that many more um, carbohydrates. So I just, I think that's interesting to hear from Michelle too. So now we can talk about your feeling strategies for race day. I think I saw both of you had posted like flat runner, like kind of pictures with what you were planning to use. Um, and I think the concepts are probably similar in terms of how the math worked out, but I'm curious just to hear how both of you have trialed different products and what you kind of constructed as your race day plan for CIM. So Christy, I know you said you had used the scratch super fuel, which is like their super high carb product. Um, tell us about like how you were planning to use aid stations or carry your fluids and take your fuel. What'd you use? Yeah. So I brought an 18 ounce water handheld water bottle with me, fill that with a scratch super fuel, um, and use four scoops of the super fuel. And then one scoop of the scratch clear, which is higher in sodium and electrolytes. And between that, I still took two gels, um, every hour, the last hour, three gels. Um, but between that, I, I hit 90 grams of carbs that first hour, first hour and a half. Um, and then, uh, the second hour was right around, um, gosh, what was it? I think about 70, still high, um, 70, 80 grams of carbs. I can't remember exactly, um, offhand, but, uh, still was on that high end because the scratch super, the car, the liquid carbs helps makes it so easy. Um, and then uh, I was get questions. So I ended up refilling my water bottle on course <laughs> while I was running through the aid stations. Uh, it's not something I would recommend to clients. <laughs> um, but um, so basically what I did is they were like, how do you, how do you refill it while you're running? Um, I had, I had done this for the first time at Boston. So I would take off my the top of my water bottle, stick it in my shorts. So I wouldn't lose it. And then as I approach the stations, grab as many cups as possible and pour it into my water bottle and then grab the cop top again and, and screw it back on, hoping that I don't drop it because I did do that in Boston. Um, and I would do that after the half waypoint. And then basically the aid stations were every two miles. And by the two miles, I was I had drank that those fluids. So I would need to do it again. Um, there's one station that I skipped, but, um, that's kind of how I got through it. And then I brought salt pads, the fast stick, uh, the fast shoes, salt stick, fast shoes as well. Um, just because I know I'm a salty sweater and I've had issues of my, uh, foot cramping, the arch of my foot cramping in the past. I did notice like during the race, my hand cramped up when I was like holding onto a gel and would try and throw it. And so like to that, for me, that was a sign that like, okay, my, I'm already starting to cramp. I need to be proactive. So I would take the salt, the salt stick, fast shoes. Um, I start taking those the second half of the race after I ran out of the scratch, um, because I knew I was getting less electrolytes for my beverage. And then some of, I was using Morton, Huma plus gels, which are higher in electrolytes. Morton's really low. And then the goo roctane, which is also higher in electrolytes. Um, but, um, the Morton, since that doesn't really have much electrolytes, I wanted some extra as well. Um, so I had the salt sticks for that too. Let's take a minute to hear a word from our sponsor for this episode, which is inside tracker. I love having Inside Tracker as a sponsor of the podcast. I have been using Inside Tracker for, I don't even know, three, four years now. Um, they have just been such a key cornerstone to me understanding more about my own body and being able to help my clients on a more deeper level live healthy, athletic lives and reach their athletic goals. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. 
Inside Tracker provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live healthier longer. And they calculate your biological age, the rate at which you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age via their algorithm. And the thing I love the most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health, like nutrition, uh, supplementation if you have deficiencies and need a little bit of support there, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. And I really love using Inside Tracker as a way to just check under the hood, you know, see how things are running um, when things are going well. And also if I'm not feeling my greatest and then be able to identify the root cause of why that is happening and put together a plan to feel better for myself and for my clients. So if you want to save 20% off on your next Inside Tracker purchase, you can visit the link in the show notes. I love that. I'm cracking up because I use the same products. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like Hema Plus, more in Scratch. Yes, all of those things. Um, so I love this. I've actually heard, um, I can't remember who it was. I've heard of like another pretty fast runner do like the same like strategy with her bottle at aid stations. And I just like for anyone who's hesitant to carry fluids because you think it'll slow you down, like there's people running some three hour marathons, like filling their bottles with cups, um, you know, and multitasking. So I mean, practice it, you know, obviously in training, so you don't get too flustered. But I think that's awesome. And really like outside the box. So well done. <laughs> um, and Michelle, what about you? What was your fueling strategy? Did you also do some gymnastics at the aid stations? <laughs> No, I did not carry a water bottle. <clears throat> um, I just used that aid stations for my hydration. I am not a particularly heavy sweater or salty sweater. So with it being right around 50 degrees at CIM, that's perfect for me. Um, I can use the aid stations. It's enough if I can get a couple of gulps at each aid station. I, I took fluids at most aid stations, whether it was noon or water, um, that, that I do fine with that. Um, and then as far as my gels, I took a gel every 30 minutes. So I took a total of five gels and I like to vary my brands that I use. I just get tired of eating the same thing. I get questions why, why I like, why I have so many different brands. I just get tired of eating the same thing in the same flavor. So <laughs> I like to vary it. I used Guroctane. That's one of my favorites. I used a Morton, uh, you can, uh, actually two Roctane and then a Huma. So I have a variety, a wide variety. I don't know if there's any science behind it, but just being able to use each brand's proprietary blend of ingredients or their different types of sugars. I don't know if that helps or not. Definitely isn't hurting me. So that's what I, what I do and what works for me. Yeah. I've always loved that. Like looking at your flat runners, I'm like, what flavors do we have? Like we have like a, like an espresso, we have pineapple, like there's the flavorless Martin. And I think that's a great strategy, especially if you kind of are like, Ugh, I just don't want to take like the same flavor over and over again, that can be tough during a race. So, I mean, Hey, that seems to work great for you. So, um, and at the aid stations, were you doing like the water and the, I think they had noon endurance at CIM. Yeah, I would alternate depending upon kind of what I felt like drinking uh, the noon endurance. Um, I didn't get a lot of it, so I didn't really count that towards my calories, but I would just kind of flip flop between the two depending upon what I was craving. Gotcha. Nice. Awesome. Well, now I want to talk about your race day, like actual pacing plans and what your race plan was. Um, so I mean, whoever wants to answer, were you both planning to run together? Like, or was that not part of the plan? Cause obviously you guys finished like within a minute of each other. Yeah, honestly, we didn't really intentionally talk about, it. I was thinking about this the other <laughs> day. We never really intentionally talked about whether we were going to run together, but just talking about our, like what our pace plan strategy was. I knew I wanted to go out a little bit faster than Chrissy did. Um, and I knew, I think, I thinking having run a sub three hour marathon already, I kind of knew that I could probably do it again. And I knew Christy was, wasn't really quite sure if she was going to be able to. So we ran, I remember seeing her only for about a mile and a half next to me. And then we just got separated. I mean, there's so many people that you're running with at CIM on Strava it had had me running with 200 people. In the race. So, and I don't know how wide that span is that they use, but still, I mean, there's just so many people. 
So I saw her for a little bit. She was running with the, her other, her virtual training group. Um, but we did find each other at the start. We had separated once we got to the start and then found each other in the corral again. And then, so started side by side, but didn't run too much of it together. Um, she doesn't like it when I talk to her. So even if we did run next to each other, <laughs> I won't forget we, I was, she was finishing a half marathon. I was like jogging or I was running beside her for a little bit to encourage her to finish. And she is like, after she finished, she's like, don't do that again. I don't like it. <laughs> Communication so. is key. <laughs> so yeah, we only ran together a little bit and really, really didn't have intentions of, you know, if it happened, it happened, but no, I mean, we just, we basically knew we were going to be running our own races and our own paces throughout the, throughout that. That's good. That's always good to establish like beforehand. I know you, as you said, you didn't really establish that beforehand, but at least you kind of understood that like you weren't going to be running and chatting the whole time. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We just like ESP signaled and yeah. sent an ESP signal to each other. And we kind of knew. Yeah. You're running like spiritually together. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that's awesome. I had a couple, um, I had a client who ran with her husband at CIM and she was like, we're going to run the whole thing together. And it was her first marathon. And I was like, mm, okay, so have you done that before? Like, do you guys have a strategy? Cause some people, you know, one person's the talker and the other person wants them to shut up. But if it's your husband, you're too nice to say so. So like, and she was like, oh no, we have a whole strategy. Like we're going to be fine. And then they end up being fine. But it's good. Cause when I run with my husband too, like we don't talk to each other. I, we're just like running in the same space together. So, um, so when Michelle, my husband like, and I run, when my husband and I run together, it's like one chance to, to talk because he, yeah. he's not a runner. So I have to slow down. So it's easy for me to talk and where he's huffing and puffing and he's the talker in a relationship. And so it's like my one time to actually talk and he, he can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. You're just like, blah, 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 blah. And he's like nodding along. Um, so what was your pace plan, Michelle? Like, what was your race strategy having done this exact race, um, you know, and breaking three hours the year before, like what, what were you trying to replicate? What, what were you doing differently? I was trying to replicate pretty much what I did last year. Um, I was aiming for splits right around 645. I, uh, last year in 2021, I mean, I knew that a 6.52 pace or faster gets you a sub three hour marathon. In my mind, I just converted that to 6.50 to make it easy. And plus I knew that if I ran extra and didn't run the tangents well, I was going to need that extra time. So 6.50s, high 6.40s, 6.40s is what I had in my mind in 2021. And this year, same kind of thing. I mean, mid 6.40s, I would say, um, was my goal. I trained, I tend to train a little, just a tad bit faster. I did a lot of marathon pace at 640, but in my mind that then I can run then on race day, the pace feels easy, quote unquote. Um, so right in that mid 645 and most of my splits, I think mile, mile from mile four to mile 23, I think it was, it was just a like five or six second span of splits. So very consistent, even with the Hills and just, you know, I mean, there's Hills at CAM, but they're not nothing too drastic and you're up and before you even realize you are. And then there's almost always a downhill right on the other side. So, so a lot of gradual hills and just did that bet my best to stick to that 645 pace. And then with that, I mean, went through the half at 129, uh, in change 129, 12, something like that. Um, so I knew that set me up for a good, that was a good time. And then ran with the carb load, being able to not hit, you know, avoid hitting the wall at 20 mile 20, I was able to pick it up and run just a little bit faster those last few miles in back down into or into Sacramento and to the capital. Yeah. I looked at your splits that you had posted on your blog and I was just like, dang, what like, like a metronome, like they were so similar. So that's just, that's really cool. And especially when the terrain does vary a little bit, that just probably speaks to your fueling and training, um, going into the race. So that's really cool. Um, and then Christy, what about, what about your like race pace strategy? Like, were you planning to run with lift run perform ladies? Like what was your plan? Yeah. So I knew I don't do well when I start out too fast. Of course, I don't think anyone <laughs> does, but, um, 
I knew uh, like that was a big thing. I, we talked beforehand with my coaches about the other runners who would be right around my pace. And there was about four of us that really stuck together the first half. And we kept each other accountable about not telling each other if we were running too fast. Um, it was all, we were all going to be about that 650 pace. We were in the 645, 646 pace, I think early on, which, uh, you know, talking to Michelle, I knew like you had to be below that 650 pace or 652 pace um, because you're going to run further. So I ran 26.33 miles or so. Um, I did not run the tangents very well. Um, and so, yeah, we, uh, that was really nice to just have the group of us. Um, and I kind of, within the group, I kind of like stayed in the back of the pack, really focused on like, okay, my breathing's doing good. I feel like I can keep this pace up. And so I knew like at the halfway point, I crossed that 130. Um, I knew that my plan was to run the second half faster. Um, and I just barely did that. <laughs> um, and so then after the halfway point, just still trying to keep up the same pace that I was um, going all the way along. And, you know, again, by once we got into Sacramento, running through the city, mile 22, 24 was able to pick it up and, you know, again, push through. The only thing, I mean, the only thing that hurt was the muscles, my quads and hamstrings and legs, um, but be able to push through that um, and pick up the pace the last um, last mile or so to be able to come in just four seconds under. Yay, carbs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And um, did you have any like rough patches at all during the race? Did you feel like there were any parts that were just harder mentally or physically at all, or did it feel pretty smooth? So with the hills, um, I definitely like didn't push through them. Um, just took it, took it kind of easy. Didn't, didn't want to push too hard on them. Um, but besides that, there are some points um, like the middle of the road. Um, there's little reflectors that stick up, and so like being careful not to step on that. One time, I did step on something and like twisted my, like rolled my ankle a little bit. Uh, luckily my ankles are strong and I haven't <laughs> ever, uh, sprained them or anything. Um, so then, you know, there's different points of like, oh, my foot is hurting. Oh, this is hurting, but it would go away. Uh, luckily. So, um, but other than that, like I didn't have any GI issues. Um, I didn't have any cramping, uh, just, yeah, I, nothing else. My breathing was fine. Like I was, and I, that's something I always find interesting. I, I feel like is I always expect my breathing to be more heavy at the end of the race, but it's like, my legs are tired hmm. and, and my breathing is fine. Um, compared to like when you're doing speed workouts and, and training where your breathing is a lot heavier. So, um, that was all, that was all good. That's awesome. So you were still able to negative split or e at least even split pretty closely, um, yeah. throughout the race. Yeah, Michelle looks at my splits and she's like, I don't know how you ran sub three because some of them, I think the slowest one was uh, 6.58. I had hmm. one um, mile or section of that. Um, but there's definitely points where I was running over a, a 6.52, um, but somehow it evened out to just be under three hours. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's always satisfying. That's like if looking at Boston splits, you're like, there's heartbreak hill and there's the downhill after it's like evens itself out sometimes on hills. Um, Michelle, did you have any like rough patches during CIM at all? Or was it pretty smooth? Cause your pace, your pace looked pretty smooth. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, um, I had very short lived things that pop up. I remember my it band feeling that a little bit more. I was like, Oh no, is this going to turn into something worse? Um, and I mean, other than the normal fatigue and feet just hurt by the end. No, I had, it was pretty, it was pretty smooth sailing. Uh, didn't have any GI issues. Um, fortunately that hasn't, I think only one time I've gotten like a little stomach cramp during a race and the way it you know, went well. That's awesome. And at what point did you know that you were going to PR? 
Um, when I went through the half at 129, I was pretty confident I could PR because um, I had gone through the half in 2021 at 130 and change. So it was about, I think it was about 50 seconds faster this year. Um, but I also knew I would have to pick it up as much as I did in 2021, which my 2021 splits in the last few miles were even faster than they were this year. Um, so I was pretty confident once I went through the half and 129 that I could PR and, but then you, I mean, you still don't know, cause even just a few running each mile, a few seconds slower can really add up over the course of a marathon or a half marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those last few miles, it was just like, okay, I know I've got the sub three, just like keep grinding, keep working. So you got, can get that PR and my PR was only 14 seconds. So it's nothing. It was a lot of work over the course of a year for 14 seconds only. <laughs> and I, I mean, that's, that's, you know, as, as, as I age, I just, I've, I've basically reached, you know, my peak fitness. I mean, there's not really much beyond where I'm at now. Yeah. You have to work harder and harder for those seconds. Like as you get faster and faster, cause like that first, those first couple of marathons, if you take off like 10, 20 minutes, you're like, this is awesome. I want to keep doing this, but eventually there's, there's less at the top, <laughs> um, to kind of chip away at, but it sounds like, you know, um, you know, you definitely ran like a faster first half and it was just more even maybe over the second half. Um, Christy, so not, the same question because you probably knew you were going to PR, but when did you know you were going to break three hours because you did so by four seconds. And I love the picture of you hugging your sister at the finish line, like checking your watch. Now tell us about, about your experience. So I actually probably around mile 22, 24, I was like, okay, I think I got it. I think I'm going to break three hours. Um, I didn't realize I would be that close <laughs> um, because I kept looking down my watch and it was still like I was still running 645s there like not on the like the actual pace while I was running here and there and uh, of course there's other times where I was like running 655 and it's like oh shoot I gotta pick it up um so I I actually I was feeling pretty confident probably too confident those last (laughs) few miles because if I would have not broke three hours I feel like I was like, oh, I could have ran faster. I could have picked it up more because I was like in this point of like, okay, I think I can, I think I'm there. I think I could do it. I just have to keep this pace up and I don't have to push myself any, any more than I am right now. Um, so, and then when I crossed the finish line, I forgot to stop my watch and I looked down and it said three hours, 11 seconds. And I was like, well, I think I, I think I've been across the finish line more than 11 seconds, hoping that I was. Um, but then it was actually still after I looked at my watch, I still wasn't sure. Um, it wasn't until even a few more li- minutes later, I went over finally to talk to my coaches. I was like, so did I actually break three hours? And that's when they told me I did by four seconds. Nice. That's awesome. I think, um, and, and did the clock at the finish line, was it, was it over three hours? Cause like, how yeah. did you start a little bit further back? Yeah. So that right. was just the gun, gun time. Yep. So yeah, the clock was over three hours. Um, I want to say even three Oh one maybe. Hmm. And, uh, so yeah, you can't rely on that. And, um, yeah, you just never exactly sure how, how long it took you, took you to get to the to start the race um, before the clock started. I love yeah, that. She, I love that your coaches told you. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say when she crossed, I mean, after I finished, I turned around after I caught my breath, turned around and looked at the clock, watched for her. And I saw the clock go over three hours and she hadn't crossed yet. And I'm like, okay, but I know that it took us about a minute to cross the start line. So I know there's a little bit of time here. Yeah, the clock was displaying gun time. And so, and then she crossed shortly after that. I think shortly after they ticked over to one three oh one, and I give her a hug. I'm like, "Did you get it? Did you run sub three? She's like, "I'm not sure." <laughs> so, yeah, we really didn't know until someone gave us confirmation, like via the splits, that uh, that she had done it. Yeah, yeah and the pacers. Like, go ahead. Well, the pacers were in front of uh, in front of me too, and they had already uh, crossed the three hour pacer. 
Gotcha. Yeah. So you're like, man, I don't know. It's, it's funny too. You're like, look down at the watch when it actually says like 26.2, which is probably like two minutes before you cross the finish line. You're like, I broke three hours, but then you still probably had to run a little bit extra because of the tangents. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's always frustrating. I, I did a half marathon recently and it was, it was actually, I didn't know this when I signed up for it, but they had actually removed like the USATF certification because it was 13.3 miles. And I was like, ah, and someone had told me that the day before. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try really hard to run the tangents. And I did. And it was still 13.3 miles. So I like looked out at my watch at, when it said 13.1. I was like this time. Okay. Like this good to know. <laughs> so it was frustrating. Um, so yeah, I like that Michelle, you had said you kind of accounted for that even in training, um, that you were like, okay, I have to run a little bit faster to actually, you know, make it add up on the day. Cause that's important. Yeah. Yeah. I like to train a little bit faster just so the effort, so it, like I said, quote unquote, feels easier, easier on race day. And then as far as running the tangents, I'm always surprised when I talk to my athletes, how many people still are not, don't realize that how important that is. Mm -hmm. And especially for the marathon, I mean, they easily see, I usually plan on at least a quarter of a mile extra. I think I ran just uh, right around a 10th of a mile, slightly over a 10th of a mile. So I was pretty happy with that, but yeah. usually a quarter of a mile. I mean, I've seen people even run close to a half a mile extra. I mean, that's even at, I mean, a quarter of a mile at eight minute pace is two minutes. And that's, that can make a big difference in your time if you're trying to go for a PR or go for a BQ. So yeah, it's constantly looking up and I do it in practice too, like constantly looking up and just run wherever you're at to the next turn or curve in the road, run the shortest point so that you're in the habit of it. And sometimes it's the, I am like, it's, we get on these long stretches where you're just running straight and it's, it can be hard in the fact that there's a long a stretch, but um, you know, also there's, then there's also courses that have lots of turns, turves, turns and curves. And then that can really add an all, uh, add on a lot of distance to your time or to your overall uh, distance. Yeah. I think at Boston, I ran like 26.55 miles. I was like, oh man, like when I looked at my watch, but it happens. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, yeah. I mean, so what's next for both of you? I mean, I want you to obviously celebrate your accomplishment, but like, are you guys, do you have any other races on the calendar coming up or are you just trying to like recover? Because I know this just happened and you're both, you know, fighting a cold right now. <laughs> Um, for myself, well, we are both doing the Eau Claire half marathon and or marathon. <laughs> they, uh, the funny thing is they contracted with us individually, but I don't oh. think they realize that they're, that we're sisters. And so we're, I'm, we're like, how long do we wait to tell them and that we're, that we're both, that we both contracted with them to run the Eau Claire marathon or half marathon. So we've got that in at the end of April, beginning of May. <laughs> Um, and then as far as myself, I don't know, I don't know it it's, it's been a whole big shift moving from Alaska to Minnesota. And so in Alaska, I just had my same races that I did every summer. I knew, right. I knew, you know, the logistics of getting to the start, who is my competition going to be, what paces I need to ride. I knew the courses like the back of my hand. So it's like, I'm like, I don't even know, like, where to, I mean, there's a lot of races. I mean, there's a lot of small races, you know, all those little town festivals of 5Ks that they put on that I could do. I could go up to the Twin Cities and run with more competition. So I don't know. It's going to be a, a whole kind of a whole new year for me for running as far as what races to run and what goals to chase this next year. Yeah. And for me, um, yeah, so that we have the Eau Claire, probably do the half. Um, but then part of me is like, well, I broke three hours. Now I'm done. <laughs> I'm Last just day, Christy. <laughs> you know how no, long it took you to like convince her even to try to break three hours or even to try to hire a coach? <laughs> like Christy, the thing is, I have to I have to run those high mileage weeks because that's in order for me to like stay close to her. Like she can do the 50 mile weeks. I have to do twice as much work in order for me <laughs> just to, for us to be at the same level. <laughs> so I'm sure as a running coach too, you're like, come on. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is not fair. She just has more natural talent than I do. So she also, yeah. no, I'm almost 40. So she's got some additional years to keep getting faster too. So I'm like, well, 
gotta enjoy this time while I'm still faster than her for, for a little bit. <laughs> um, I mean, I wanna do New York and Chicago at some point. Um, Berlin would be fun, internationally. So there's definitely like some marathons that I wanna do. Um, I'll probably end up doing a fall marathon of some sort, just not sure which one right now, but um, two, two marathons in a year is a lot. Um, that's kind of the most that I will do, but I'll probably hold off and take a break and not have to train through the winter, or at least not train for a marathon through the winter. Yeah, I respect that totally. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's Michelle's just here. Like Christy, you have so much time. Christy's just humble. Like, I think I'm done. Like, <laughs> I think three hours is good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's cool that you're both kind of like looking at big picture, um, like actual races that you want to run rather than maybe times. Um, and also focusing, it sounds like on maybe some shorter stuff too, um, that you're both contracted with in April. So that'll be, that'll be cool. Um, awesome. Well, I mean, I could talk to you guys for much longer, but we are, I want to be mindful of your time. So, um, yeah, I mean, thank you so much. And I want to ask you the end of the podcast question, but first, um, where can everyone find you and the services that you offer and all the info that you're putting out? Uh, Michelle, I'll start with you. <laughs> I am on Instagram and my blog is the runner's plate. And I, like I said, during the winter, now I'm doing a lot of winter running content. Um, but also I do have my own coaching business. So I work one-on-one -on -one with athletes through that. And then I will also do virtual one time calls with athletes as well. Um, and yeah, my, so Instagram and my blog are my two primary ways you can follow me and follow along on my journey. Yes. And your winter gear recommendations have never steered me wrong. So you've never been wrong before. So take her advice if you are in a cold place, especially. Um, and Christy, where can people find you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at marathon.nutritionist. Um, working on building a website. So that'll be up soon. Um, but I, uh, like Holly, work with runners, um, distance runners, whether you're training for a race or not. I, uh, um, really focus on not only sports nutrition side of things, but also having a healthy relationship with food and overcoming food rules and feeling, stop feeling obsessed about food. So you can feel, fuel your body confidently for running. So, um, love to uh, work with runners and have them, you know, it's just amazing how much nutrition can make a big difference. Um, so just as, Holly has shared on here and shared through her content as well. Yeah. If you guys are here listening to this podcast and you don't follow Christy, go do that. Um, you should definitely go do that. She puts out great content. She's being humble about it. Um, <laughs> it's great content. I love like the lens that you kind of focus through too, of um, having a healthy relationship with food, because as we both know, that's, it's very common to not have a healthy relationship with food, especially in the sport of running. Um, so I appreciate the content that you put out. Um, Okay, end of the podcast question. So you're crossing the finish line of like your best race ever. Maybe it was CIM, you know, this past month. Um, so what song would be playing at the finish line to embody how you're feeling in that victorious moment? Whoever wants to go first can go first. Oh, really? <laughs> I did not warn them about this. <laughs> oh. Oh, you don't know as we're the worst at coming up with songs or knowing artists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably this just is what um, our husbands are for. 40s. Um, yeah, some top 40s, really upbeat song. That's like a poppy really, song? That's a really lame answer, but honestly, I don't know song titles. <laughs> That's okay. There's two types of people. There's people who are like, it's this song by this artist and there's no hesitation. And there's people like, I don't know. I like everything or I don't listen to music when I run. So yeah. um, <laughs> you both identify with the second camp. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's awesome. Well, I won't put too much pressure on you, but if you do think of something, please let us know. Um, but thank you both so much for coming on the show and recapping your experiences at CIM guys, make sure you go follow both of them. They put out great running content and have a really good rest of your 2022. Thanks, Holly. Thank you.
Christy and Michelle. Thank you both so much for coming on the show today. You were just absolute joys to talk to. And it was really cool to get to talk to both of you together about your CIM experience. Congrats on your PRs, breaking three in the marathon, Michelle for the second time, Christy for the first time. And I hope you guys are enjoying a peaceful and relaxing, hopefully, end to your 2022. If you guys are enjoying the Holly Field Nutrition Podcast, I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review. That is just a great free way for you to support um, this podcast and all of the free content that I'm able to put out on it. It really helps get the podcast out to other runners so that they can benefit from the information. And it makes basically makes the podcast more attractive to cool sponsors like Inside Tracker so that I can keep providing you guys with some discounts on products that I believe in or use myself and with clients and also as a way for me to be able to keep doing this podcast because um, it does take a lot of time and effort on my end. And as you guys know, it is not the only thing that I do at Hollyfield Nutrition. I'm not just a podcaster. I'm also a dietitian. I'm also a personal trainer. I'm also a writer. I'm also a podcaster. I do a lot of things here and this is just one of them. And it's one of my favorite things to do because I get to talk to amazing guests and put out free content for you guys. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope that you are having a peaceful rest of your 2022. And if you are not, I hope that you get a period of relaxation in the future. Happy running. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 